I was recently made aware of this fascinating story. During the latter part of World War II, the British wanted to launch an offensive attack against the Axis powers from the south of Italy, with the island of Sicily as a starting point. However, the problem was that the Germans knew this. Strategically, the only logical place from which to launch such a huge assault was by first establishing a base in Sicily. So in order to achieve this deception, the British set about constructing a widespread disinformation plan to convince the German high command that rather than attacking Sicily, the Allies would first invade Greece and Sardinia in 1943. To push the Germans away from the actual intended objectives, the British dressed up a dead man from Wales and they made him into Major William Martin of the Royal Marines and dropped his body off the Spanish shores. The corpse was collected by the Spanish and after eventually being examined by German spies, forged top-secret documents that the Marine was carrying seemed to show that Sicily was not the target of the British invasion at all, and it was instead Greece and Sardinia. Intercepted secret German messages were decrypted to show that the plan had worked. The German high command was fooled. And so the Germans pulled forces from Sicily and placed them in Greece and Sardinia. Of course, the Allies invaded through Sicily. So incensed by having been deceived, Hitler became very skeptical about future intelligence gathered, that he ignored vital information gathered two days after the D-Day invasion landings in 1944, as well as documents outlining how the Allies intended to drive through Holland during Operation Market Garden. One piece of deception ensured that Hitler did not trust two vital intelligence which could have dramatically altered the course of the war in Nazi Germany's favor. Deception and deceit have been used since the fall of man to gain the advantage, especially in times of war. Everyone knows of the Greeks' use of the Trojan horse in the battle between Greece and Troy. Similarly, in the spiritual battle we are all fighting, as we try to live out our Christian lives in a way that pleases the Lord, the enemy of souls will use deception and deceit to try to trip us up. Therefore, it is important that we be warned in order that we may be ready and prepared, which allow us to live courageously in the crucible. What are some of these warnings from the Bible so that we don't fall into deception? Let's study God's Word. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 9, as we continue our study in the book of Joshua. Joshua, chapter 9. I read now from verses 1 to 5. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowlands, in all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzites, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. After Israel's victories over the cities of Jericho and Ai, 
the enemies of Israel in the land of Canaan came together to oppose Israel. That's what verse 1 tells us. But not everyone was part of this evil alliance. There was a group of people called the Gibeonites who heard what the Israelites had done and instead of waging war against them, tried to find peace with them in order to save themselves. Now, we don't know how they came to know about this information, but the Gibeonites knew of the laws of Moses, which required that the Israelites not make peace treaties with Canaanite tribes and to destroy them completely because of their pagan beliefs. But the law allowed Israel to make peace with people who were not from the land of Canaan and who lived far away. And if you want to study these provisions, you can take a look at Exodus chapter 23 or 34, Numbers chapter 33, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and Deuteronomy chapter 20. So the Gibeonites knew somehow of these provisions and used deception to pretend to be a people from a faraway land, even though they were no more than 32 kilometers or 20 miles away from Israel's main camp at Gilgal. The Bible tells us in their deception, they tried to look the part of old, weary travelers from afar by wearing old clothes and sandals, using old sacks and wineskins, and even using dry and molding bread to convince the Israelites that they had journeyed from a very faraway place. Look at verses 6 and 7. And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? The Gibeonites came to meet Joshua Gilgal and asked for their two peoples to have a covenant, a peace treaty, because they have come from afar. And they tell this to Joshua and the leaders. The leaders of Israel, the Bible tells us in verse 7, were initially skeptical They said, how do we know that you are not our neighbors who live nearby? The Israelites were indeed right to ask questions and to keep their guards up and to be skeptical, to be guarded. Now let me stop here and give a first warning about deception. Deception warning number one. Be on guard. Many want to take advantage of you. Be on guard. Many want to take advantage of you. There is no doubt that the Gibeonites wanted to take advantage of the Israelites. The Bible tells us very clearly they worked craftily and they pretended to be who they were not. My friends, this should serve as a warning to us. We should not be so naive. There are many people who will put in the effort to deceive us in order to take advantage of us. But sometimes it's not for their own gains. You see, sometimes it's so that we would fail and fall as Christians, so that it can be propagated of false narratives about how Christians are bad or how Christians are just like us. They are no different. The apologist Josh McDowell had a very effective ministry, and especially amongst the college students. And he often tells a story about how throughout his ministry, people tried to trip him up. People would plant women in his hotel lobbies as he went around the country and around the world uh, to speak about Christ. And they would try to seduce him so that he would be discredited and he would be called a hypocrite. In fact, he tells the story where there was a case where they planted a nude woman hidden in his hotel bathroom with a photographer hidden in the closet to take a picture 
to discredit his ministry when he entered his own hotel bathroom. But it so happened that his traveling companion was with him, and his companion entered the room first and discovered these two people in the room. So up to now, was a matter of practice. Josh McDowell always has someone else enter a hotel or guest room where he was staying when he is speaking. Applicationally, we as Christians should be very careful as well. Being a follower of Christ doesn't mean we won't get suckered into a deception or fall into a trap. Or somehow as a Christian, we need to trust everyone who tells a sob story. Jesus' own words to his followers is a good warning similarly. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus gives this warning. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus is reminding us, his disciples, that we are to balance wisdom with holiness as we engage the world. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We should not be naive as to think that no one will take advantage of us. There will be people who do just that. In fact, they may often use the fact that you are a Christian to take advantage of you. They will take advantage of your kindness. They too have read the Bible, and so they will misuse the Bible to try to trip you up or to try to take advantage of you. So be on guard against these peoples. Now, we don't have to go overboard in investigating everything and being so wary and skeptical of people that we no longer show them love. We have to understand that it's okay at times to be taken advantage of for the Lord's sake. But this warning from the Lord and in the book of Joshua is to ensure that there is a balance in our awareness of reality that there are people who will take advantage of us and we should be on guard. I remember when our church was smaller and it was feasible to do so, we used to serve refreshments after church worship services to encourage fellowship. The rule was that it was one person for one snack, and there was a sign on the table written so that there would be no misunderstanding. But every week, there would be some who took more than one, or they would bring extras with them back home. These incidents were reported to me, and there was a discussion at the staff level as to what to do. How do we stop these quote-unquote dishonest people who took more than one snack, especially when there was a sign on the refreshment table? I said, you know, it's good we know of what's happening so that we aren't naive to think that everyone will only take one. But then I said, we should think about why they take more than one. Could it be that perhaps for some of them they are hungry Or for others, they wanted to give it to someone in their family. Since we really don't know the reason, and since we don't want to be the snack police, let this matter be between them and the Lord. However, this is where wisdom comes in. In our discussion, the staff decided not to put out all of the snacks on Sunday morning at the beginning of the day. We approximated the number of people at a particular service and brought out just a bit more than the average attendance of that service so that there will be enough for those in the later services, especially if there are those who want to take more than one. My friends, that's applying wisdom and balance, knowing that there are those who like to take advantage of others. Look with me now at verses 8 to 10. But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. 
And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtoreth. The Gibeonites told Joshua and the leaders a lie, that they had come from a faraway land and they had heard the works of the God of Israel and what he did in parting the Red Sea and what he did in allowing the defeat of the two great Amorite kings of the east. Notice how crafty they were. They did not mention the drying of the river Jordan or the miraculous defeat of the people of Jericho and I. They were smart enough not to mention these events, which only those who live nearby would have heard about. What I want to point out here is that even the enemy can speak spiritual words and can speak the right words. You see, deception warning number two. Even the enemy can speak spiritual words. Even the enemy can speak spiritual words. The Gibeonites said all the right things. They use a spiritual lingo that would make the Israelites believe that these people also believed in the one true God, Yahweh. It echoes the words of Rahab in Jericho. But we know that the Gibeonites didn't really believe in Yahweh. They just wanted to save themselves. And so it's a good warning for us. We need to be careful to remember that there are people out there in the world who will and can deceive by using spiritual-sounding words or use the quote-unquote Christian lingo. But using these words don't mean they know the Lord or that their motives are right. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns the Corinthian Christians of the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 14. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. The Apostle Paul warns the Corinthian Christians and us that Satan and his non-believers often masquerade as Christians using deception and spiritual words to attack Christians. Satan can mask himself as an angel of light. Remember, he was a guardian cherub before he fell. And so he knows what it means to use spiritual words. So be careful when someone says, praise the Lord, or quotes a few Bible verses, that they aren't trying to pull one over you. This reality should encourage us to know the Bible well, to know theology well, so that then you'll be able to weed out and discern people who pretend to be Bible teachers or are simply trying to get you to buy into their false theology or false teachings or trying to convince you that they are on your side by using really spiritual words or Bible verses. Remember the temptation of Jesus by Satan? Satan used Scripture, but he only used parts of the Bible to make it say what he wanted to say. And he took verses out of context. The Lord Jesus overcame these temptations and answered Satan back by using Scripture as well, but using Scripture in its proper context and quoted accurately. So this is a good example for us 
that we can discern when people use spiritual words to try to deceive us, that if we know the Word of God, then we can discern better. Remember, the enemy can use spiritual words. Look with me now at verses 11 to 13 of Joshua chapter 9. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new, and see they are torn. And these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. What you have here is a master con. The evidence the Gibeonites presented all would seemingly support their story. The long journey they supposedly undertook was evidenced in their possessions, where fresh bread had now turned dry and moldy. Wineskins were now torn, and clothes and shoes were now old because of the wear and tear of a long journey. This is a very clear example of another deception warning. Deception warning number three. Appearances can be deceiving. Look beyond the facade. Appearances can be deceiving. Look beyond the facade. One of the greatest cons is known as Piltdown Man. Piltdown Man may not be widely known today, but this paleoanthropological hoax truly deserves its place on the list of the biggest deceptions in the whole of human history. The fossilized bones of a supposedly unknown early transient form of man was revealed to have been found in a gravel pit in Piltdown, East Sussex, in the United Kingdom in 1912 by archaeologist Charles Dawson. And for the next 40 years, it was believed that uh, this was an early species of man, the so-called missing link between monkey and people. And so this was the missing link that would support evolution. However, in 1953, it emerged that Piltdown Man was actually a huge fraud. He was, in fact, a fully developed modern human person believed to have died 600 years previously, but whose lower jawbone had been replaced with that of an orangutan monkey. Every scientist in the early 20th century had hoped to find the so-called missing link in the history of evolution that was first theorized by Charles Darwin in 1859. And so everyone was looking for evidence. But because they so wanted to find this missing link, especially the secular scientists, they readily believed a hoax. Dawson himself remains high up on the list of suspects, although it appears that a young museum volunteer named Martin Hinton, whose box contained fossils stained in exactly the same way as the Piltdown Man, may have been the most likely suspect. But because the world so wanted to believe that there was a missing link between the transient forms of a monkey to a man, they so believe this hoax. Of course, it is not true. Appearances can be deceiving. Look beyond the facade. This is a good warning for us as believers. Just because someone looks the part, looks spiritual, doesn't mean they are. We see this in the lives of the Pharisees in the New Testament, 
specifically in the Gospels. They looked outwardly very spiritual. They looked as if they were close to God. But in reality, their outward righteousness didn't fit their corrupt inner life. And this happens a lot. I recently heard of a daughter of a pastor who is a worship leader at her church on Sunday, but on weekdays lives a party-filled life and living a life that is promiscuous. She would be what we call a modern-day Pharisee. But we may wonder, how can someone live so hypocritically? But it shouldn't surprise us. In fact, it is quite easy to do when we begin to compartmentalize sin. So it is in tests, it is in trials, it is in the crucibles of life that God often uses to refine, to expose, to reveal the truth of a person's real inner life, to see if it matches their outward righteousness. So if you really want to know if someone is on fire for the Lord, or if they have a real, genuine, authentic, personal relationship with the Lord, we should observe them for a long period of time in various situations. How do they act when they undergo trials and challenges and tests? How do their faith reveal itself in those situations? That's why it's often advised, if you want to marry someone and you want to know if they have a personal walk with Jesus Christ, observe them for a while before you get too emotionally attached. The fervor of one's spiritual life can be faked over the course of a week or even a month or even if you see that person only once a week but it's hard to fake something over a year or more. There are lots of people today who are faking their spiritual lives just to court a fellow Christian person. But sadly, the reality will only come out after marriage, and by then it's too late if you don't take the time to look beyond the facade. Since we can't always see the inconsistencies of one's outward life and inner life, we need to make sure first and foremost that our own outward actions and outward lives really matches our inner life. Authenticity and transparency in our lives will help us from compartmentalizing sin or hiding sin or sweeping problems or issues under the rug so as not to deal with. But know that appearances can be deceiving. We need to look beyond the facade. Look with me at verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Would you underline that, highlight that, circle that? This is the key verse in the entire chapter as to why they fell to deception and why they were tricked. They did not ask of the Lord. They took their provision to examine the evidence, but they were fooled. They did not ask of the Lord. I have no idea why something so easy to do in the midst of their doubt would be something they didn't know to do or they didn't choose to do, to inquire of the Lord. Was Joshua so self-confident in the evidence presented? Were the leaders also confident in the words and the actions of these deceptive Gibeonites? What was it that made them so sure after examining the evidence that they would not seek counsel from God? You know, all the warnings leading up uh, to this fourth warning should tell you that it is imperative that you and I ask the Lord to reveal to us the truth, or else it is only natural that we will be deceived. You see, warning number four, ask the Lord to reveal the truth to you when you are not sure. 
ask the Lord to reveal the truth to you when you are not sure. Remember, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere always. Remember that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. There is nothing that is a surprise to God. And there is nothing that He doesn't know or He doesn't see. No deception can get past His exacting gaze. So it stands to reason that we should ask the Lord to reveal truth in our lives. Ask the Lord to give you the discernment, the wisdom, the opening of your minds and of your eyes to see truth or to bring circumstances and obstacles and challenges that will reveal truth. In fact, the Lord has given us the Bible in which there are many principles and commands to live by. And if we are to follow these principles and commands, and it is therefore God's way of revealing truth into our lives. Don't expect the Lord to reveal truth into your life when you are living in disobedience. That's exactly what is happening here. The leader of Israel didn't seek counsel from the Lord. So God didn't reveal to him that they were being deceived. Remember to ask the source of all knowledge and truth what is true. What is truth? You know, there are a lot of people these days on social media that set up fake accounts and try to connect with you as friends by pretending to be another person, someone you know. You would be foolish to blindly add them as a friend. So what do you do? Before you add them as a friend or allow them to follow you or connect with you, you send them a message, your friend, on Viber or SMS or on text or on FB Messenger if they have created a new account or why are they trying to connect with you. If they say, no, I haven't created a new account, then you know the person is a fraud. We verify and confirm such a simple thing to do to get to the source of truth. But sadly, not many people do it. And they simply add without thinking, and then they get burned. The Bible tells us we are not bothering the Lord when we ask of Him to reveal truth in our lives. It is not a bother to God when we ask of Him the things we do not know. Remember the words of James Chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. Look at this invitation. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. It is an invitation from our Lord for us to inquire of him. Sadly, Joshua and the leaders of Israel didn't do this, and they were tricked into deception by the Gibeonites. Look at verses 15 to 18 of Joshua chapter 9. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chepirah, Beroth, and Kirjai-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Three days after they had signed the peace treaty with the Gibeonites and their allies, the Israelites found out they had been tricked by their enemies. 
who were in fact living in the next cities for Joshua and the Israelites to conquer. But the Bible tells us in verse 18, Israel didn't attack them. They didn't break the promise, and that's the right thing to do because they swore to them in the Lord's name. The reaction of the Israelites wasn't too understanding. They complained against the leaders. It is implied here that the people thought the leaders should have known better. You see, when you have been deceived, the most common reaction is not one of empathy and sympathy from others. People will not give you the benefit of the doubt. They will question your wisdom. They will complain against your judgment. So it serves to reason that you need to take your time before making decisions. Because falling into deception has severe consequences. And oftentimes there is no need to rush into decisions. We have the time. Imagine if Joshua had only waited three more days before entering into a peace covenant with these people. The outcome would have been very different. Joshua and the leaders could have told them, can we get back to you? And then use that time to pray to God and ask of Him. They could have used that time to do more research and to delve into the evidence that was presented. They could have asked further questions trying to ascertain the truth of the story of the Gibeonites. Here is an important practical warning, number five. Taking time to decide minimizes mistakes. Taking time to decide minimizes mistakes. And maybe I can add this little phrase. Taking time to decide in prayer minimizes mistakes. Taking time to decide in prayer minimizes mistakes. In such a fast-paced, impatient world that needs a decision now, we often rush into decisions that will affect our lives and we rush into important decisions that have serious consequences. We need to simply take the time to ask God for help. Questions like people who we will marry, people to whom we will go into business with, business ventures to jump into, courses to take, all of these Questions need time, especially time spent in prayer. When we spend time in prayer, it will minimize mistakes. You remember the second stanza from that wonderful hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it goes something like this. Have we trials and temptations? Is there troubles anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Many of us have trials and temptations. We are filled with troubles in our hearts. But don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Just take it to the Lord in prayer. And so the Bible reminds us that we are to take time to decide because that will minimize mistakes when we take it to the Lord in prayer. You know, in sales and marketing, one of the things they teach you to be a great salesperson is to make the customer make a decision right then and there. It's the so-called impulse buy. Because salespeople know that it's a fact that if you let the customer walk away or you allow them to think about it more, then you most likely have lost that sale. And so salespeople who are effective get the customer to buy at that moment, to make a decision at that moment before they walk away. And there's different techniques for how to apply soft pressure Because when a person has the opportunity often to think about something, they will realize they don't need it. 
they'll realize they don't need that brand new car. They realize they don't need that new digital watch or that new gadget. And so the world pressures us to make a decision now. If you love me, you will act on it now. What should be the natural response of a believer? Your natural response should be, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it should be the natural response that comes when we are to make a big decision in life, especially one with life consequences. Wait and pray. That is a biblical principle. We find echoes of this throughout the Scriptures. Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The psalmist tells us to wait, to spend the time in prayer, to seek the counsel of God. And then in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, many have memorized these wonderful verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Look with me at verses 19 to 23. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. Joshua and the leaders of Israel did not break the covenant they had made with the Gibeonites, as that would have greatly displeased the Lord, since they made this covenant in the name of the Lord. They honored their words and made the Gibeonites serve the people of Israel as slaves and perform menial tasks as punishment for their deception. This is a good reminder for us that if we are deceived or fall into a deceptive act, that we should not retaliate with evil or retaliate using another sinful act. I know it's very natural to want to retaliate or get back at someone who has taken advantage of you. But leave that to the hands of God. He will vindicate in His time. We are to repay evil with kindness instead of repaying evil with evil, as hard as it may be. Why? Because we represent Christ. And this is what Paul writes to the Christians in Rome to do. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, it doesn't mean we let people take advantage of us, especially if we know they're taking advantage of us. But if we have been taken advantage of or are deceived, 
then our response should be to follow the principles of Scripture and not try to get back at them using the same evil ways. You see, deception principle number six, when deceived, do not retaliate with evil or sin. When deceived, do not retaliate with evil or sin. We are to respond according to how Jesus wants us to respond according to the Scriptures. Look at me at verses 24 to 27, the end of the chapter. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded His servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we are very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now, here we are in your hands. Do to us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hands of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place where he would choose even to this day. The Bible tells us the Gibeonites agreed to work as servants of Israel doing hard labor for the work that was needed in and around the tabernacle. So in a sense, they were actually made to serve God as a punishment. You see, the reason God didn't want the Israelites to mingle with the Canaanites was because of their idolatrous pagan practices, which would have negatively influenced His people. So by having them still separated from the people working in the tabernacle area, there would be that separation of pagan influence. But it also exposed the Gibeonites every day to the worship of the one true God. Perhaps some of them would come to believe. The Gibeonites didn't get what they wanted, which was freedom. But they were also not destroyed as a pagan people as the Lord commanded. You see, God was gracious to both Israel and the Gibeonites in spite of this great deception. In the next chapter, we will see that God will use the Gibeonites to achieve for Israel one of their greatest miraculous military victories. In fact, centuries later, it was some Gibeonites who helped Nehemiah with the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem as they returned from their exile in Babylon. This really shows the grace of God. He is able to redeem and turn a deceptive act into a blessing. And He's able to do the same in your life. He's able to redeem a situation where you are taken advantage of. You see, God can still make good come out of our mistakes. That is the forgiveness and the grace of God. We see here our last principle, number seven. God is gracious. He can redeem our mistakes. God is gracious. He can redeem our mistakes. God can still bring good out of our mistakes when we fall into deception. Now, yes, we may have to suffer the consequences of our actions, but God forgives and can make right our failures. And that's so assuring for us as believers, as Christians, that if we make mistakes in our lives because we didn't heed God's counsel or listen to His Word, our God is still gracious. He will forgive us because of the price paid of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And in His grace, He salvages the mistakes of our lives. So my friends, don't lose hope. If you have been deceived by the world, the world system, or the lies of Satan, there is hope. 
because God forgives and He wants to shower upon you His loving grace. If you think you have messed up your life because of the bad decisions you've made, remember, there is redemption and hope through our Savior, Jesus Christ. But heed the warnings of this passage and also find hope in the Lord. Be warned, be on guard, many want to take advantage of you. Even the enemy can speak spiritual words. Remember that appearances can be deceiving. Look beyond the facade. Ask the Lord to reveal the truth to you when you are not sure. And take the time to decide in prayer in order to minimize mistakes. But if you are deceived, do not retaliate with evil or sin. And know that God is gracious. He can redeem our mistakes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we can learn life lessons from the mistakes of the Israelites. They did not heed Your counsel. They didn't take time to inquire of You. May it be that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, always remember to ask You for counsel, to look into Your Word so that we can know how to discern truth. And may we walk in such a way that the Holy Spirit is always enlightening us in what we are to do and what we are to decide. But Lord, thank You for Your grace and Your love and Your forgiveness as enabled through the shed blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ, so that when we have messed up in life because we have not heeded Your counsel or we have willfully disobeyed, that You still forgive us. And so I pray if there are those who need forgiveness, that You would forgive them the shed blood of Jesus Christ so that we can start anew and live our lives in such a way that we will stand for truth and not so easily fall into deception because we are grounded in the Word of God. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.